Do you ever feel like you're busy and reactive, struggling to focus, craving time for relationships? So perhaps you need to make some space in your world for the things that really matter. Today on the Reset Podcast, we're going to hear from Daniel C. He's the author of the book Spacemaker, and he helps people who are struggling to disconnect from their phones, who are overwhelmed by the amount of distractions in the world, and feel like there's not enough time to get everything they need done. If that sounds like you, perhaps you need to make some space in your world. So welcome to the Reset Podcast, Daniel C. Well, Daniel C., welcome to the Reset Podcast. Thanks for having me on the show, Luke. It's really great to meet you again. Mate, it's great. I'd I'd love to hear how you managed to write a book like Spacemaker. And if you could tell us all what Spacemaker was all about and what what kind of inspired you to write it and what will people get out of reading it. Yeah. Look, I once read a quote from Richard Bach. He said that we teach best what we most need to learn. And I mean, I don't know you well enough, but I'm a type A personality. I love to work hard. I I love what I do. But making space to focus on things like deep rest and deep relationships and uh, I suppose deep thought have always been challenges for me. Uh, I, I value living a broad and diverse life, but at the same time, I drift towards overwork and not having enough space and so I think the book came out of my maybe 15 year journey learning to understand my own habits and to see the world around me and particularly to see the impact of tech on my lives and those of my clients and as as you know having read the book it both helps us understand the impact of technology of overwork of reframing our relationship with the online world and then learning how to live differently so the the book came out of really my own struggles and trying to make sense of it and over many, many years finding the tools to help others do the same. Yeah, because at one stage you, you kind of had to park the book, didn't you? You parked it for about a year? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it, it's uh, so, so I found myself really busy many years ago, let's say a decade ago, I nearly burnt out and I learned a whole lot. What did lot that look like things. for you? For me, it ended up looking like uh, breathlessness, actually. So okay. I was breathless when I was speaking, and then I found I was breathless at the dinner table, and then you know, breathless reading books to my young children, and I'm like, something's wrong. And uh, and it's funny, you get this cycle going where, well, how come I can't breathe properly? Maybe there's something wrong with me, so that makes you more worried. But it, I don't know. I, I've never seen myself as an anxious person in that in that sense of when you hear about anxiety. But I did all the tests and. Uh, there was nothing wrong with me physically, and I had to come to the you know, uh, the realization that my life was unbalanced. I was working three jobs. I was building a house. I had young kids, and I hadn't built in the types of patterns that I have in my life now that I write in my book. Uh, and so, yeah, that was anxiety coming out yeah, in okay. a way physically, physically. And I love the way you talked about talked about that though in that you said that I don't see myself as an anxious person but I was struggling with anxiety I, I really I really love the way you worded that because most people will just say oh yeah I had anxiety and yeah, I really I hate what- that sort of language that that it becomes part of my identity my name's Daniel I've got black hair and I have anxiety I 100% agree I even with my kids I'm like okay so you uh, you're feeling, t- you know, I, I try to take away the labels because I think labels can really box you in. And, uh, you know, even when as a physiotherapist, which is my original uh, training, 
you know, we taught people not to say, hey, I have chronic pain, but, you know, I'm doing pain today. And yeah. and to just get the idea that actually you can separate your experience of life from your identity and therefore work on it. You can separate yourself from it rather than using it as something that labels or boxes you in. Uh, yeah, but so to answer your original question, I, I had that experience many years ago, but then I found myself in the middle of this book and ironically writing a book about making space in the clutter of life I found that because I was writing it on the side of my desk and constantly trying to write at nights and out of hours and on weekends, and I even used some annual leave to get this book done after many, many years of work, I just found myself in another situation where just there was no buffer in my life. There was no margin, and I started arguing with my family. or I was just cantankerous, and, uh, and I wasn't enjoying life, and uh, one incident happened, which I wrote in the book, where I just I, I cracked a tantrum basically and uh, dropped a glass of water on the ground and went downstairs. And wasn't there and, a hole in a door yeah, somewhere? I, yeah. If I remember sounds, rightly, it, it, it was. I, uh, I, I love the little bit of shame in your face there as we there talked about the in hole in the door. I know. I uh, I used my foot to uh, open my door. And Rapidly, unfortunately, it left a hole, and it was one of those kind of a hot moments. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not this type of person. And this isn't okay anymore. So, yeah, I put the book down and I thought it would be shelved permanently. And, you know, I obviously apologized to my family, but in a real way, you know, my lifestyle changed. And the, the things I was writing about in my book, you know, margin, space, in, investing time for deep thought and rest and relationships, I put all that back into place. Mm-hmm. And after about a year and a bit, my wife said, you know, we had a conversation and it was like, I think it's okay to pick up the book again. Why don't we actually finish it? And wow. yeah, I'm really grateful that happened. Yeah, me too because it's a fantastic read. It really is good because it's it's one of those things. I, I actually, as I finished reading this book, I actually bought myself one of these. I bought myself <laughs> a 90s flip phone from Amazon. I didn't know you could right. get them anymore. <laughs> you could still get them. And I'd really love to say I've changed my life now and I use my 90s flip phone, all right? I haven't been able to bring myself to take the chip out of my iPhone and put it in there yet. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm really procrastinating about this. I got it about a week ago and it's all charged, ready to go. I've just got to bite the bullet and do it. I'm going to do an experiment for a week and see how I go with a 90s flip phone. But I spent the last week thinking, oh, shit, how would I go if I couldn't listen to podcasts and if I can't use Google Maps and I don't have Google Calendar with me, how will I make an appointment? And it just dawned on me without even doing it, the idea of being without my phone would be horrendous. Wow. So I don't know. Would you I ever go that brave? Would you ever be that uh, brave? Well, well, I mean, I had I had a bunch of time off last year. I had long service leave and it, it ended up being on the back of uh, the death of a very close friend. So it was a, uh, and that wasn't expected. So it was a kind of a period of grief and self-reflection and a whole lot of deeper stuff. But I, I disconnected from my phone for six weeks, which was right. a, a huge amount of time. And then when I came back, I thought, well, actually, do I really need the internet? And so I, I kept my smartphone, but I disabled Safari and I, I blocked myself from, I basically made my smartphone a dumb phone and, and made it impossible to use it properly. And I lasted for about a week and a half. I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. There are so many things I actually need to run a business uh, in terms of being able to check my email on the run and being able to scan things and find out where I'm in terms of a map. 
so, I mean, give it a go. I, what I love about the flip phone thing is, you know, as you know, in one of my habits is to have a digital day off once a week mm-hmm. and to have a true day of rest. And so I, I still disconnect from all my devices one day a week. What I've seen is people who are business owners like yourself who can get, you know, really caught up in the churn, uh, get a second SIM card and use only give your friends and family that. And so on the weekend, you're the uh, 1990s flip phone guy. And then, you know, in the week when you actually need to be connected to the internet and social media and all the other stuff that kind of comes our way just to get by with life, you can be connected. Because uh, the book is not an anti-tech book. It's actually just saying let's be really intentional with the life we want to live, with the, the mental habits we want to develop uh, and and the relationships we want to have and not allow digital overuse to dictate the texture of every moment. Yeah, it's it's a really good little nuance to it, isn't it? That it's not an anti-tech book because it's not. You're actually, you're not saying don't use tech. You're just saying let's use it deliberately. And it's a really cool message. It really, it really is good. And you look around and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do a few things. Um, I don't take it into my house, which I think, I think helps a lot. Um, my office is as you walk into the, from the garage into, into the house. And I plug my phone in there so I don't take it into the house. And I find that helps a lot. Um, the amount of people that sleep with it by their bed is horrifying to me. And I've had a few coaching clients that I've said, look, we can't sleep with your phone in your bed. It's really bad. And you're, you're outsourcing the first most important part of your day to someone else, which is just not a good thing. And they've gone, oh, but it's my, it's my alarm clock. I've got to have it. And I've, I've actually gone gone to Amazon and sent people alarm clocks to just say, no, take your phone away from your bed. Have it, here, have an alarm clock. Coffee's 15 bucks. Amazon Prime, you beauty. <laughs> Luke, you're more hardcore than me. Uh, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, I, and one of my key messages you know, it, when you get to the actual practices is, yes, start and end the day without your phone. Have a daily pause or pause when you start and end the day. Uh, and it's, a, it's the same thing as you just said. You, I'd use different language, but I'm like, well, you'll often be in bed, right? And you'll be checking Instagram and your partner's scrolling Candy Crush or whatever it is, and you're actually making love to your phone rather than to the person next to you. You're having a relationship yeah. with Siri rather than the person you decide to spend your life with. And just pillow talk returned when I actually put my phone away. <laughs> my wife put my phone away, and we actually had those kind of precious 10, 15-minute moments before we went to sleep to to just talk i mean you know and clearly when you wake up in the morning to think your own thoughts to reflect on your day to think about what you value and maybe pray or meditate or or whatever you do it's so much better than opening it up and finding out what your friends have put on instagram or what's Mm. happening in the ukraine you know it's it's a complete game changer Uh, but in terms of the the actual problem of waking up without a phone uh, there are some strategies. So you can get, you know, tech solutions like Garmin's and Fitbits that vibrate but mm-hmm. that don't open you up to the whole world of, you know, the internet. Uh, I actually ended up getting an old smartphone, just, you know, just one that I put, wasn't using anymore. Yep. It's got no SIM card. It's got no apps on it. And it just wakes me up in the morning with a bit nice, with nice music. So, you know, it's a $2,000 alarm clock that I don't use yeah. anymore. But uh, there, there is, and obviously the sun does come up. You can still let the sun wake you up at some times in the year. But yeah, uh, don't let that be a barrier to actually getting your sanity back in the morning. Because it is, it is such an important, it's such an important part of the day. And we really are outsourcing it to someone else's priorities. 
You know, when you're checking, when you spend the first part of your day on emails, you're just setting yourself up to be on that treadmill um, the whole time. So it's 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 it really is a curious habit just to plug my book, um, um, which is really cool. One of the stories I love, and we talked about how we you kind of end up doing things that everyone else does. You told the story about an experiment they did with monkeys. And I love this experiment. If you could tell everyone about that, it was really cool. Yeah, sure. Look, so firstly, it is more of a fable experiment. I've, I heard it once and I spent ages trying to look at journal articles to try to find out where it came from. And then I looked at the book I read it from and I'm like, there's no reference. So I think this is a fable, but it's an awesome fable. So you've got scientists and they put five monkeys into a into a cage and uh, and basically at the top of the cage are a bunch of bananas and when and a ladder up to the bananas and basically the you know the monkeys enter the cage and they climb they go to climb the ladder but when they reach the halfway point uh, the sprinklers in the cage kind of shoot out and the scientists soak the monkeys with water and so uh, the behavioural scientists kept doing that again and again until the monkeys realised if I climb the ladder I'll get wet I'm cold I won't climb the ladder. Uh, and then in this experiment, they take one monkey out and they put one back in. And in this situation, the new monkey obviously goes to climb the ladder straight away. But in this situation, he never, or he or she, or whatever the monkey is, never gets to the halfway point of the ladder because the other pack of monkeys are pulling the other one, the new monkey down and, to, and stopped it from actually climbing. Uh, and so as the experiment goes, the scientists slowly took out all the original monkeys one by one and replaced them with new monkeys until the point happened where uh, none of the monkeys had ever been wet and none of them knew why you couldn't climb the ladder but they would still pull each other down because that's what the pack did and it's an example that that's what we do around here so in many ways a lot of the time that was an example for me about culture how the cultural norms and the cultural stories shape our digital narrative and uh, how sometimes we end up having particular behaviors and ways of seeing the world and thinking about the world that have not been thought out, but have simply been adopted because we're following what all the other monkeys are doing. But we don't really stop and think, why, like in this situation, why why do I wake up to my alarm clock and, and automatically reach and click my email and then suddenly start from work when I haven't even really wiped the sleep from my eyes? How did that come about? Uh, what's the story behind the story? And, you know, even on top of the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies that have designed that digital liturgy in your life, you know, even beyond that, why do I do that? And I think- What am I getting out of it too? What what do I get out out of it? it? Would it make any difference if I did it two hours later? And and how do my habits shape my identity? How do my habits shape my life? Because as, you know, you're a habits author and and I know that you know this, that uh, what we do habitually is who we become. And so do we want to be the person that has no space or margin in our life? Do we want to wake up and immediately hit work mode or immediately kind of start thinking about the social cred and what other people are thinking about our posts? Or are we able to think our own thoughts and reflect on our own ideas and reflect on the data in our day and uh, have, have an inner life that goes into the outer life rather than the other way around? Yeah, it's it's actually quite a cool one you talk about monkeys. There's another I don't know if you know how to catch a monkey. Have you ever heard of how to catch a monkey? You, no, actually, I get, it. Yeah. you actually get a box 
and you make a hole in the box and you put a banana inside the box, but the hole is only big enough for the monkey to get its hand in. And the monkey will get its hand in, will grab the banana and then can't get its hand out, but it won't drop the banana. You could actually just walk <laughs> up and grab it. It won't drop the banana to get away from a predator and a predator would just be able to eat it. It doesn't have it in it to drop to drop the banana. And I think that's a really cool metaphor for how we are for phones. We know it's mm. going to be better for us to put it down, but we won't actually drop the banana. And so that little monkey part of our brain, I think, is the thing that's actually you know, got us addicted to our tech. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I don't have my book here, but Walter Brueggemann says, uh, and I'll have to paraphrase that, uh, basically you can't change worlds unless someone gives you a better imagination, uh, an imagination of something richer and better. And I think it's not just that we... You know, we know we should spend less time on tech, but we don't have an imagination for life that is rich and good and vibrant, unplugged anymore. Yeah. Uh, we can't see the benefit of it in in a really deep way. So that's why I spend nearly half my book, probably a third, a bit more than a third of my book, trying to change our paradigm of technology. So shift our story, shift our belief, shift our understanding about what tech is, why we gravitate towards it, and what we might want to do differently in terms of a life. Uh, and the middle section is to try to paint a picture of the things that are lost and the things that are gained when we intentionally disconnect from our devices as a habit and a rhythm so that we can master our tech rather than it mastering us. So things like really deep, meaningful relationships outside of the screen, which are completely different than social relationships online, like really deep thought where we think deeply and reflect on the inner life in silence and and know who we are so that we can enter the world with our insecurity uh, and, and things like, um, yeah, deep rest, actually resting our mind, not just our bodies, and changing the patterns and habits on the weekend rather than repeating the habits and patterns that we have at work just using different apps and different screens. So if we have a better imagination for how beautiful and rich and wide humanity can be outside of the screen, well, then we can get the best of both worlds. But you've got to start with that imagination. Yeah, you do. Don't you? you actually? You actually said one of the other quotes you had in the book was, "If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters." I <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah, it's a great quote, isn't it? And yeah, it's one of the one of the beauties of this book. It's really, really well researched. I can see why you almost had to take a break from it because it is really spectacularly well researched. And um, a couple of a couple of other things I, I really want to talk to you about. One was your time in Vanuatu hmm. as a white fella. Yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi. So you've been, yeah, uh, yeah. gosh, awesome one of me. Good. It's been a long time since I spoke. You, you speak Bislami. Yeah. <laughs> a, I, a long time ago. <laughs> I did some um, optometry aid work over there years ago and I love the Vanuatu people. I love oh. Carver too. If you ever want to chill out, Carver is your, your ultimate way to burn any sort of desire to do anything out of your body. <laughs> um, uh, it's an but, amazing place. Yeah. Tell me about your time in there. Yeah, so look, I was young. I was 19 years old, so that is a number of decades ago now. And I spent a year in a, uh, a leadership development program to prepare us to head there. So I learnt uh, Bislama. We learnt to eat the food. We did like self-reflective activities. And the aim was to go there and to see how their culture could change us. Uh, and then I, I'm amazed that we did this because you'd never be legally allowed to do this nowadays. Uh, I was 19. There was one other 19-year-old white fella and uh, we went to a village where there was only one English-speaking person in the village, no electricity, no communication with the outside world, 
we had to get a bush knife and hack through the bush, like through the jungle for like about 45 minutes to reach this village, get into a, like a canoe, cross the lagoon, and then we were there. And we spent uh, nearly six weeks there completely isolated from the rest of the world. So it was the one of the best experiences of my life, uh, but probably not very good from an, uh, a WH&S perspective. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it really changed me because it helped me to see my culture through other people's eyes and I learnt to understand myself in a place where I felt very disrupted yeah. uh, and very alone but also uh, very connected in a, in a strange way to the people and the place around me. I, I feel we all, it's something that because we've got so almost addicted to comfort that we kind of, I, I call something like that doing a hard reset to sort of, you know, full-on clearing all the hard drive and, and having a, a long period of time that's uncomfortable, that's difficult, that's out of your comfort zone. And it's like I try and do at least one of those a year. It might only, it might only usually only four or five days. But mm. like I had five days where I did a five-day fast, uh, lived in a teepee, had no technology and no people for five days. All right. And that, it's life-changing, that stuff, like your Vanuatu mm. trip would have been. It's it's really life changing. You get to actually sit with your thoughts and understand yourself a little bit more. And it sounds really touchy feely. And yeah, you know, let's sit around in circles and sing kumbaya. But it's something like that. I think the whole almost everyone would benefit from that. I reckon you know once every year or two. Absolutely. I mean, I, well done for doing it intentionally. So I do have. Um, <laughs> you make it sound like you were you were smuggled into Vanuatu and was, made to hack through the bush. And I was young and ignorant, and you know, one of the girls on the trip was cute. But um, it was uh, no, it was, it was fantastic in terms of how it changed me. And look, it really did change me in a in a big way. Uh, pro- probably the two things that actually came out of that trip in terms of like you know, thirty years on are the value of community and the value of kind of science or contemplation, which almost seem different from each other, but they're very similar. Uh, so the community piece was just realising how hyper-individualised our world is and how we everything is around me in the West. And mm. Vanuatu is completely the opposite. Everything is shared in a, in a small village. And I remember the leader of the village uh, had been to Australia. He was the one who spoke English. And I said to him, what is it about Australia that you liked or found different? Because I was having that same uh, journey in Vanuatu. And, and one of the things that the person said is, it's really strange you put these little fences around your houses and you must be very scared or protective of your stuff. And it really made me contrast the idea that we put these little boundaries around our lives, around our fen- you know, fences, around our lives, around our staff, around... Uh, you know, talking about our income and all this kind of stuff. And and in Vanuatu, they didn't have fences. They actually lived an interdependent, interconnected lifestyle. And I came back to Australia thinking I want to live differently. And it's taken me a long time, but I actually live in community now. I bought land with another couple. We built two houses and we deliberately you know, architecturally designed it with no fences so that we could have a space for our neighbours. And and we do. We use that space. We have an open fire pit and we light it up once a month and the neighbourhood comes. And we wanted to have lives that were a little bit more intersected than we have in the West, uh, recognising I'm still a middle-class professional. It's not like we have a kind of a hippie-type commune, but but we have two houses, but we do a lot of life together through patterns and rhythms. 
And in many ways, I don't just have three kids, I've kind of got six kids, which I'm, I really like. Uh, and it's been a challenge, but it's been a good way of living. So that came out of Vanuatu. Well, it's almost it takes that old African proverb, it takes a village to raise a, raise a kid. And I think we've lost that. And I reckon, yeah, I think things like the news and stuff like that and you know, reports of sex offenders and all that have just made us everyone a little – and they're bad and you know, for people that have been through that, it's horrendous. But I, I don't think there's rampant sex offenders running around on the corner of every street. Um, that somehow we've we've got we've developed we've almost swung too far the other way that we're a bit too protective. Mm, absolutely, and look, it's funny. You know, I, I have a very interesting street. We we do have <laughs> drug addicts and sex offenders and people who have been murdered on my street. I have a very interesting street. Uh, but at the same time, having a sense of community makes you safer because you talk about the issues and you look out for each other. And, you know, sometimes we have to witness problems and go to court. But but I, there's the reality that actually you're stronger when you're together with others and you can, not in a kind of protective huddle type way, but, but you can have an outstretched hand and build relationships, even with people who have different lifestyles and different experiences than you. Uh, yeah. As long as there's, you know, wisdom in the boundaries as well. There, there are people we won't have come into our house. Uh, mm. That's 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 just smart. But um, yeah. but yeah, there's something about togetherness that's really valuable. Yeah, nice. So if you were if you were someone who thought you were struggling to make space and were were perhaps a little bit more reliant on your phone, what would be your sort of top three things? You probably get asked this one all the time. What would be your top three <laughs> things to do? I have been asked this before. Firstly, I would go back and say you've got to change your beliefs and paradigm around tech because I can give you three quick tips, you know, don't start and end the day with a phone and it's almost impossible to do because you have beliefs that shape your behaviours. And so the first thing I would say is do some self-reflection about what your habits are, why you do what you do and what technology means to you. Uh, so that's that's my caveat. But um, three quick tips. Uh, well, They don't have to I, be quick, mate. You can whatever oh, you think people should do. Go for your life. Three tips. Well, I have annual, weekly, and daily patterns because that's how I see like productivity generally, that it's helpful to, to orientate helpful habits around different patterns or perspectives. And so I do that in terms of getting organized. You know, I have an annual goal each year. I break it down into weekly big rocks, as Stephen Covey says, and then every day I do one of those activities and do it first in the day. So I do it for keeping pace, so getting stuff done. Uh, but I also do it for making space, which are the habits of unplugging and unwinding in order to be happier, healthier, more productive. So uh, from an annual perspective, look, a very simple tip is book your holidays first. Uh, now, this might be uh, a no-brainer for some, but for, for many people, I think 40% of Australians who work 45 to 50 hours or more a week say that they're too busy to take their annual leave. And, and the reason they say is they're too busy to stop. And so the busiest people in society actually don't know how to rest well and they can't find time to take a holiday. And so what I would say is rest comes first before any meeting, any speaking engagement, you know, any client hits your calendar because you need to care for yourself before you can actually be a healthy, productive person. So January each year, my wife and I look at our calendar and we put four or five weeks of leave in and we time it with the historical low points of our year when we're tired, like at the end of winter in Tasmania, we want something to look forward to. So we have mm -hmm. a week there together. 
Uh, and, and we're just very intentional in what rest looks like. So in summer, it looks like activity and engagement and fun. In winter, it looks like a warm fire and board games and actually disconnecting from phones and not doing much except for just connecting with each other and slowing down. And but the key is that we're intentional in what our rest looks like. We lock it in in advance and we make it sacrosanct. Uh, and most of those holidays, or at least the ones where we're intentionally slowing down, we're almost always away from a screen. So we right. significantly disconnect. Uh, if we watch TV, it's together rather than everyone being on their individual iPads, for example. That's a thing now, isn't it? Um, also, the stats on the amount of people that will watch two screens at a time. It's like <laughs> North. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know the exact stat. I think it's like 88% of people will watch two screens at a time. I'm actually doing two interviews right now. You don't know it. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hope the other guys asking as good of questions as I am. <laughs> so, yeah, the first one is book holidays in advance. And it's a game changer because it gives you some space to start with, particularly if you're intentional. And that, that sets you up with a bit of a buffer in the year. Uh, from the weekly perspective, well, this is the hardest of all the habits, but I've found it the most valuable. And I call it the digital day off uh, or a digital Sabbath. And that's... That is the idea of actually rethinking what rest and work mean for you. Uh, so it's not so much about technology. It's about having a day of deep rest where you truly rest. But the interesting thing is I'm a knowledge worker, you know, you're a knowledge worker, and uh, 90, like 25% of the energy that we use in our bodies goes here in the brain. Like the brain uses up an incredible amount of energy and uh what I realized is that if I'm paid to think and work uh, as opposed to, you know, gardening or doing manual labor, and if my work almost always involves a screen, so typing, swiping, using the internet, et cetera, well, then what I found I was doing on the weekends is I was still typing and swiping and communicating through the internet. I was just using different apps. And, yeah, right. the, you know, the brain can't tell the difference between Outlook and Instagram. It's still creating the same habit loops, the same patterns, uh, you, you are you are using your mind in almost the same way, and if we want to regenerate our mind and walk into a Monday feeling actually rested spiritually, mentally, physically, you have to not just not be at the workplace. Even though actually many of us work from home now, so it's even more important. <laughs> but you have to not physically remove yourself from so-called work. You need to change the habits that you're doing day by day because you need to have a day, at least one day where you're experiencing a broader neurological experience, where you're experiencing things that aren't looking and feeling like work. And so for me, the only way to do that is by completely unplugging for 24 hours once every week. And I go bike riding. I play board games with my kids. We eat bacon and eggs and we have like Saturday is our let's eat whatever food we want to eat day. You know, ice cream kids, 15 bucks each. Let's go to Woolworths, you know, and and uh, and I love chainsawing because, like, it's physical. You see an automatic result when you chop wood, and you, it's mindful because you can't think about, like, complex things because you have to concentrate on not chopping your feet off. So, you know, for me, chainsawing is the opposite of what I do for work, which is static, communicative, online. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, it's rest. Does that make sense? So It massively uh, makes sense. Yeah. You're just resting the part of the, you know, if you were chainsawing all day, it'd be really good to have a day off chainsawing. You're on, and, on screens and, all day. And, it's really good to have a day on screens. But I love that yeah. idea of having a daily, a weekly, and a yearly one. Um, 
Yeah, I really, I really like that. I'm going to steal the hell out of that. I hope you don't mind, because <laughs> um, I, I really, I really enjoy that. So, um, are you a big fan of things like taking your apps off your phone and the sort of restrictive apps that you can get? Which ones of them, if you do like those restrictive apps, which ones of them would you recommend? Yeah. So from a daily perspective, one of the daily habits is actually make your phone less addictive so you can still use technology. Uh, look, I use Do Not Disturb. So again, on my Saturday, I turn it all off to reduce the temptation. Uh, there's particular apps that I, I reduce. So ABC News, I just that's, that's my jam. I just keep spending too much time looking at it. So now I've given myself five minutes a day so I can scan the news and I can give myself another five minutes, but I put yeah. a restriction on it. Uh, I've made my phone grayscale so that... Um, there you go. I've got that one too. That's uh, great, isn't it? Yeah, it makes it really boring. Uh, it is so I, boring, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, so you can grayscale. I have that as my triple button push yeah. on the yeah, side. The so if is, I need color, I get it back. The problem is, yeah, you press it too much and you can get the new habit of making it color, but it's a it's a good way to try to help yourself. Do you have any that you really like? Uh, I use the focus one, but I often get lost with that and then don't actually get phone calls I really need to get and things like that. So um, that one kind of loses me a little bit. But I, I, I liked your idea of being able to make your smartphone a dumb phone and I definitely liked your idea of getting another SIM card just for family and friends. And actually, I think, I think my, um, my dumb 90s flip phone is actually going to come out on weekends, which I really like that. I think that would actually work really well. Yeah, I think it, I think when you're my age, though, it just looks old. <laughs> it just looks like you you've been too scabby to buy a phone for like two decades. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's ideal, but yeah, I've looked after this one really well. It still looks brand new. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that could be the case. But anyway, you know, old is the new new. So there you are, isn't it? But if you, where can we get into contact with you, Daniel? And where can people find Space Makers? Yes, so I'm at spacemakers.com.au. Uh, you can get free downloads of my book or free chapters and there's a video series to help you plan a digital day of rest, the weekly perspective, because that's the hardest one. So feel free to download that. I think it's backslash book and you'll be able to find it. Uh, and look, I'd love to have a conversation with you if you want me to help train your teams in making space. So the digital wellness piece for hybrid teams, helping us to recognise the, the negative effects and the positive effects of tech and how to actually orientate our work so that we're regaining real connection, real rest, real thought, even in the flexibility of working from home. I run courses in that stuff and, and speak around the world. Awesome. Daniel C., thank you very much for coming on the Reset Podcast. It's been fun. No, thanks for having me, Luke. Great to have a conversation with you. Cheers, Luke.